Welcome to the New Life Millbrook Weekly Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast or other resources, please visit nlmillbrook.com. Heavenly God, we just thank you for an incredible day. Lord, you are incredible. Your mercy endures forever. We thank you that as we are in your word today, God, that you speak to us, you guide us, you guard our hearts, you let us have ears to hear what you want us to hear. Lord, I just thank you that today is a day that you have made. We rejoice and we be glad in it. In Jesus' mighty name, and everybody says, Amen. Well, I am excited to be here. I'm excited to, to speak today um, and to finish chapter five. So uh, what's great about this this part here is it has been uh, almost minute by, by minute how much time they've been in captivity based on how much time I've been speaking. Um, but uh, the Peter and the apostles uh, get arrested. Um, they were told never to speak the name of Jesus again. Um, and then they do it anyways. There is a craziness that takes place, miracles, signs, and wonders. People are putting themselves in his shadow so that they may encounter miracles and be healed, and it's taking place. And they continue to get persecuted by the leadership. And uh, so we're going to back up for a quick second and then dive right back in. So in Acts chapter 5, verse, let's see, where do we want to start off with? Let's start off with verse 17. How about that? You got that for me, Josh? Acts 5, 17. When the high priest rose up and all those who were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and all they were filled with indignation and laid their hands on the apostles and put them in a common prison. This is not a holding cell. This is nothing nice. They put them actually in jail. But at night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go, stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard that, they entered the temple early in the morning and taught again. So they get arrested, uh, which they weren't gentle about, by the way. Um, they didn't say, please put your hands up and we're going to nice and easily carry you in. Uh, there's a lot of oops, they trips and oops, my fist hit your face. Um, all those fun things. And then they get thrown into a prison. An angel opens the door. They walk right back out and start speaking again. Okay. Uh, verse 22, when the officers came and did not find them in the prison, they returned and reported saying, indeed, we have found the prison shut securely and the guards standing outside the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. In other words, there was no big escape. This isn't Shawshank. There is no issues. The doors weren't open. No one uh, chiseled their way through. Everything is exactly the way it should. We've double checked and triple checked. It's exactly the right way. We don't know how they got out of here, uh, but they got out. Now when the high priest, the captain of the temple, and the chief priests heard these things. They wondered what the outcome would be. So what we have right here is as a high priest, a high priest is not necessarily a political uh, figure, but he is the man that is going to be making the sacrifices at the temple. The temple is still uh, standing. They are still giving sacrifices. They're doing all the religious rituals. But then you had the Sadducees and the Pharisees who were more of a political wing to what's going on. And so you have every political party now coming up against what's taking place, and they're confused. So one came out and told them, saying, Look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple again and teaching the people. 
Then the captain went with the officers and brought them without violence, for they feared the people, lest they should be stoned. And when they brought them, they set before them the council. And this is where we pick up. And the high priest asked them, saying, Did we not strictly command you not to teach in his name? And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine, and indeed intend to bring this man's blood on us. <clears throat> but Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus whom you murdered and by hanging on a tree. <clears throat> For him, God has exalted to his right hand to be a prince and savior and give repentance to Israel and the forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses to these things. And so also is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were furious and plotted to kill them. When one of the council members stood up a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in respect by all the people and commanded him to be put aside, put, to put the apostles outside for a little while. And he said to the men of Israel, take heed to yourselves what you intend to do regarding these men. For some time ago, Theodos was claiming to be somebody. A number of men, about 400, joined him, and he was slain, and all who obeyed him were scattered and came to nothing. After this man, Judas of Galilee, rose up in the days of the census and drew away many people after him, and he also perished, and all who obeyed him were dispersed. And now I say to you, keep away from these men and let them alone, for if this plan or this work is of men, it will come to nothing. But if it is of God, you cannot overthrow it, lest even you be found to fight against God. And they agreed with him. And when they called for the apostles and beat them, <laughs> they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. So they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple... And in every house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. And we're done with chapter 5. So let's back up. You notice how the high priest addressed the situation. Look, you have filled Jerusalem with this doctrine, with your doctrine, and intend to bring this man's blood on us. Throughout this entire dialogue, they refuse to even use his real name. This guy, this man, whoever, they, they will not use the name of Jesus. They won't use it because any kind of using of his name would be giving it any form of dignity, and they refuse to even acknowledge his existence. Secondly, he is upset. How can I be a murderer. You've got to realize they're talking to Pharisees and Sadducees and the high priest. These men were, according to everything that was in front of them, godly men, men of renown, men who dedicated their lives to ensuring that they did not make a mistake. These are perfect people. These are on earth as close to perfection as you can possibly get in the eyes of man and according to law as you can get. This is not Peter the fisherman. 
who has a hot head, chops somebody's ear off, denies Jesus. These men are obeying. They're doing all the right things their entire life. These are Heidi Goldens. <laughs> they're doing the right thing nonstop. And now an upstart is now causing chaos. And one of the ways he's causing chaos is by this. He's not acknowledging their goodness in their own eyes. Instead of looking at them going, man, you guys have been just the best in the world and, and we honor and we, 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 we give you all the, 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 the respect that we can give and we want to inform you of something new. No, G Peter looks at them and go, you think you're righteous, but you're a murderer. And there's nothing worse in the Pharisees' world than being a murderer. He stands in their face. They stand in the middle of it all. And Peter answers and said, Jesus was murdered by your hands. And if you take Peter's few sentences here and you break it down, inside of this is the entirety of the gospel. Right here. Let's go through this real quick. We ought to obey God rather than men, for God our Father raised up whom you murdered on a tree. Earlier, Peter says, everyone has murdered. Peter stands up in Acts chapter 2 and points to every single person and goes, we all did all of this. And that's the first step of the gospel, is realizing the fault starts not with everybody out there, but it has to start with me. Every aspect of my life has to get bubbled down to this whole thing is I am an issue. I was at fault. It wasn't how I was raised. It wasn't where I was born. It wasn't what my education was. It wasn't the pigmentation of my skin issues. It wasn't what, how athletic I am. It wasn't how ugly or good looking or skinny or fat or smart or stupid. Everything comes down to this. I am guilty. I'm guilty. And if we don't start off with the idea that I am guilty of Christ's blood, we will never submit our lives completely to him. For the remainder of our times, Elaine, it will be God is an add-on, and he should be lucky that I'm on his team. And this is the Pharisees. Remember, they approached Jesus numerous times. And they kind of had a hat in hand a couple of different times as if if we can get him on our team, he, sh he should be so lucky that we would even approach him. And when he rejects their move and looks at them and says, you must eat of my body, the most defiled thing possible, people leave. You hung him on a tree. This is in reference to uh, Deuteronomy, right? Deuteronomy, where it says that every man who hangs from a tree is cursed. And the idea here is this. You didn't just accidentally do something. You cursed him. You hated him so much. Not only did you kill, you did your absolute best to humiliate the Messiah himself. And you called him a curse. Not the blessing and not the savior of the world. You called him cursed. The next part of it all 
is to understand that it wasn't because of anything else than God, but God raised him up. God raised him up. It was because of his goodness. It wasn't some magical formula. He wasn't unconscious. He wasn't in a coma. There was no moment where he just took a sleeping pill and and slept through the rest of the crucifixion. No, God raised him up from the dead. You cannot have Jesus as your Lord and Savior if you do not believe, A, that I am an issue, B, that he was dead, and C, that he rose again. A dead Jesus does nothing for me. A dead Jesus does nothing for your salvation. He needs to be alive because we need to have this connection with him today. But why? Why did he come back to life, Peter says? Why? Because God exalted him to be prince and savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sin. That had to have been a little bit of a jab to the high priest. In other words, he came back to do your job better than you could do it. In other words, you're fired. He's looking at these men going, mm, you guys are kind of irrelevant for the rest of your lives. So not only does it, we're, we're going to insult their righteousness, we're also going to tell them that they are completely pointless and everything they spent their life trying to do is now pointless as well. And we are his witnesses to these things. And also is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey. Last but not least, there is a multitude of men and women who watched this resurrection. This is not a fairy tale. This is not trying to pull up Cinderella, Sleeping Beauty. This is not one of those far off fairy tales. No, the idea here is this there is fact in your salvation. There is fact in your faith. And if anybody tells you just to have faith in the scriptures, it's wrong. There is fact in this. Scripturally speaking of the 66 books that we hold in our Bibles today, there is factual evidence of their legitimacy. And not only is there factual evidence backed up historically, not only is there backed up archaeology, not only is there backed up because they prove each other the right way, but there's also live accounts of this taking place. And as we stand today, we can look and go, we don't have to just take it because my grandpa said and my grandpa's grandpa said and I was just raised in a church. No, there is a factual evidence of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Even those who didn't believe that he was the Messiah still had to give account that his body was missing. For we can go to the tombs of our great men and and, and women of, of old. But there is no holy tomb of Jesus Christ because he's not there. There's no shrine that we can go to to say this is his body. No, it's not there. It's gone. And when they heard this, this is what happens. You have two options. When you hear this, either you're pierced in the heart, some versions say, towards repentance, or you're pierced in the heart and full of pride towards the words. Don't you dare tell me that I've ever made a mistake. Don't you dare tell me I'm a problem. Don't you dare tell me that I have a problem in my life. And this is the culture that we are now living in, ladies and gentlemen. You can no longer look at somebody and go, you're wrong.
These men were unwilling to be told they were wrong. How unwilling? So unwilling to be told that they were right, uh, that they were wrong. They were willing to kill these people. And this is playing out in history over and over and over again. And one of these days, and I, and, and I love history, I love studying history, I love what's going on in our world, but because I think the older I get, the more I realize nothing changes. It's just the same story over and over and over again. It's the same idea over and over and over again. Like, you ever watch movies, and you realize that they're almost the exact same plots over, they just change the backgrounds and CGI, it's the same ideas over and over again. What'd you say? It's the, it's the same thing, time after time after time. And I love it because it's like, doesn't ever end. There's always this protagonist who's had a hard time and they get sent off to figure themselves out. Somebody else comes alongside them and tries to help them to get on the right path again to their, to their mission. Once they get on their mission, they, they have some kind of a, a victory and then a hard moment in their life that they can't make down anymore. And somebody pulls them up from their bootstraps, if you will, to encourage them to keep going. And against all odds, they become victorious. Insert movie title. It's the same thing. And let me explain something to you. Life has not changed. This day or 2,000 years ago, people still don't like to be told they're wrong. And this day, just like 2,000 years ago, they want to do everything in their power to silence your voice. Now back then, they had the ability to stone you to death. And today, they'll figure out another way to silence your voice. They'll create issues at work. They'll create issues online. They'll create issues in your, in your public life and in your private life to silence your voice because your voice offends people. I'm not telling you to be mean to anybody. Everything we do is truth in love. But one thing you have to realize is that this story has not changed at all. It's the same thing today. But here's what's crazy. They're so riled up to kill them, one man stands up. He stands up with wisdom. He stands up, and what you have to realize about his story is his father was a Pharisee of Pharisees, and he was a man of well-renown. In fact, if you go to some temples and you see that word Hillel on temples, that was Gamaliel's father's name. He established one of the earliest forms of a commentary of the, what we would call now the Old Testament or the scrolls. And, and he was a teacher of teachers. And this man was a man full of students. And he was a man of watching what's taking place. And he makes this statement that is so powerful. He looks and says, hey, we've seen people show up before. They come and they go. If that's not a person with wisdom under their belt and, and experience behind them, I don't know who is. My dad taught me that lesson years and years ago. Because in my teens, 20s, 30s, I just turned 40, so 40s, um, 
something would take place, and my first reaction is, let's dance. You want to go? We'll go. You want to burn me? I'll burn you twice as bad. You want to attack me? I'll attack you twice. I, I will, 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 tit for tat, no. There's this mentality that there are, some people are birds and some people are statues. I'm not a statue, don't poop on me because I'm going to come after you. Like it's that, it's that whole idea. Y'all understand what I'm saying? Years and years ago, something took place and I looked at my dad and I am just furious at what's going on. And my dad, with all wisdom, goes, and I said, what are you going to do about it, Dad? And he goes, nothing. What do you mean, nothing? He goes, nothing. And I was like, uh, that's the wrong answer. Um, I need you to do something, and I need you to do something now because of injustice and all of these things that I start laying out. To which my dad says, in, in his wisdom, he goes, Pete, I used to be just like that. And he goes, and I realized that if I spent every moment of my life putting out the fires that other people would start, I would never get anything accomplished in life. And he goes, and he said, with his wisdom, nine times out of ten, Every time I go to throw water, a can of water on their fire, I realize it's full of gas and it fuels up even bigger. And this is what this man's saying. If this is of men, let it die. It'll end itself. We don't have to waste our time. We don't have to dignify it with anything. It'll die out on its own. But then he also looks and says, but if this is of God, it'll thrive. And if it thrives, you don't want to be on the wrong side of this one again. <laughs> wisdom there. This is not a pacifist statement because there's obviously something inside of him that he's not a hundred percent accurate about, right? He goes, I'm leaning towards one way, but I don't have confirmation on it. This does not work when you have the answer of the Lord. When you have the answer of the Lord and you're confident in God's answer, you act on it. But there are many times in our lives that I have found myself that I get baited by these situations and I don't have the full story and I'm pressed for an answer and I'm like, oh, which way do I choose? Which way do I choose? And God's looking at us going, don't be stupid. Proverbs says even a fool seems wise when he keeps his mouth shut. And this is what we're looking at right now. So I'm going to bring up a, a, a situation that's a touchy subject, and we'll go from here. A few years back, we had, uh, and I'll say this, and, and somebody who works with law enforcement, Bill, can back me up. We had a tragic display of a first responder a few years back. Okay? From that, we watched an indignation of, of, uh, of persons of color rise up. And what we found ourselves going is instead of looking and going, the situation is bad and there is a disparity that's going on, all of a sudden you had two sides pitted against each other. Either you're going to be pro-cop or you're going to be pro-African-American. You can't be both. 
Do you remember this? Am I the only person that was alive a couple years ago? And there was tension. And the conversation was, pick a side. I'm like, and I watched church after church member, leader after leader, feel the pressure to stand up and instantly pick a side and alienate something else. Their answer is, yeah. That situation and the circumstances that I've had and the disparity uh, for years and years and years and years uh, uh, against persons of color is huge, huge. We have history that points back to everything that has been going on, and we don't ignore it. We can't ignore it. But at the same time, there is still a rule of law that we have to follow. Are we, is everybody following with me? And so instead of finding ourselves leading in wisdom, we would find ourselves picking a side. And if I picked one side, then I hate the other side. Not disagree, hate the other side. And this is what he is saying right here in this moment is going, if you don't have the right answer for the situation, shut up. Don't feel pressure to give an answer about everything that's taken place in the world, in scripture, and in your life if you don't have a godly answer. Please don't. I'll put it this way. There is a, 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 an old Chinese proverb that I love, and it goes like this. An old man had one son, and they were beet farmers. And they had one mule, and they would till the ground. And unfortunately, in this time of, of the world, they, the, the government owns the vast majority of the land. The government takes, I think it was 70%. They get 30% to live off of with their family. So they're working non-stop. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, something spooks the, the mule. The mule takes off, jumps off a cliff, and dies. The son, distraught, goes, Dad, <laughs> we're done. Like, I, I, we got to grow beets. I can't move the till. I'm not strong enough. We need a mule. We don't have any more money. We are completely done for. And the dad says, I don't know what this is yet, whether it's good or bad, but we'll figure it out. Son's freaking out. What do you mean you don't know if this is good? Our horse just committed suicide, and we have no way to do this. Dad says, I'm not sure if this is good or bad yet. Time will tell. A couple days later, rustling's taking place, and boom, horses out of nowhere. Somebody else's uh, farm broke, and a bunch of horses come by. He goes, oh, my God, Dad, we're in the horse business now. And so he starts grabbing all these horses and locking them up and doing these things. And, and he's excited. And he said, Dad, this is the best day ever. The dad looks at him and says, I don't know if this is good or bad yet. Time will tell. What do you mean? We, just, we had one horse. Now we have all of these horses. What do you mean? Time will tell. So the kid, who's never broken a horse before, hops on the horse, starts trying to wrangle the horse. The horse bucks, flips him off. Guy snaps his leg. Well, now, what do we do? Dad, this is a tragedy. Everybody from the town, he's an old man, his only son, he's, he's busted, he's broken. Dad, what do we do? He's like, I don't know if this is good or bad yet, son. Time will tell. A few days later, after all this takes place, the samurai come riding up, getting every single able-bodied man to go and go fight. Well, he can't fight. He has one bum leg. It's all wrapped up and it's all mangled. And all the guys ride off to their death. And the villagers go, you have the luckiest son in the world. The old man looks and goes, 
I don't know if this is good or bad yet. Time will tell. And I think the older that we get, the more we realize that you shouldn't live your life under the pressure point of making every immediate decision right now. Wisdom will look at you and go, give it a break. Have you ever noticed how God is full of patience, but the enemy is full of pressure? If you're finding yourself in life with the need and the pressure to make a decision now, buy it now, move it now, can't do it now, don't sleep on it, go, 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 nine times out of ten, it's not God. God prepares us for what he's prepared for us. And if you're finding yourself under pressure to make a decision, make a decision, make a decision, buy it now, like you're dealing with a used car salesman, then you're, you're getting this pressure and I'm confused and there's math and I don't know what's going on and, and, and I just give you my car and, and now I'm making payments for the next 60 months and I don't know what's happening. Yeah, can I tell you, God is not putting you under pressure because he knows exactly what's coming down the road. But the enemy likes quick and rash decisions. He wants you to make a call right now. You know, you ever watch Family Feud or a game show, and you're sitting in your living room, and you're watching, and they come up with that, and you're like, God, that guy's an idiot. You know why? He's an idiot. He's under pressure. You put me, who knows those answers, under the same microscope. On my couch, I'm fantastic. Under pressure, I'm like, ah, plant that's pokey. Ah, I don't know. And then you just freeze, and you just like, stupid cactus, rose, name something, just do something. No, God has not given you a pressured lifestyle like this. He's called the Prince of Peace for a reason. So don't live life pressured. You know, with New Life, we've made some huge changes, and they're not fun changes all the time. They're not easy changes all the time. But when I first came on staff back in 2015, we had a huge turnaround of some of our staff. And I looked at my dad and go, what, what do we do? I think we had like six teachers, retire, or quit. We're talking about like late June. I'm like, I don't know. And, and I'm in a panic. I just moved. Like, what did I do? What did I get myself into? Dad, with ice in his van goes, you want to go play golf? And I'm like, what do you mean go play golf? Like, we got to find, he's like, where, where am I, son, where am I going to go find a teacher? Like, just walk around Walmart and go buy a teacher? Like, what, what are we supposed to do? His answer was, worrying about something is not what I'm supposed to be doing. I'll do my job, and we'll let God fix it up. And now after we've gone through what we've gone through, you know, God, you are faithful Amen. in all seasons. Last part of the story is this. I find it so interesting. In verse 34, then one of the council stood up, a Pharisees, a Pharisee named Gamamel, a teacher of the law, held in respect by all the people. What's that part? He commanded to put the apostles outside. This wasn't like Peter didn't have a, a, a shot glass to the door to hear what's going on. Do you ever read these stories and you go, well, how do we know what he really said? How do we know that this even took place? If 
you have a Bible, open up to Acts chapter 22. Acts 22, verse 1. Brethren and Father, hear my defense before you now. And when they heard this, he spoke to them in a Hebrew language, and they kept all more silent. And he says, and this is Paul, I am indeed a Jew, born of Tarsus, brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, taught according to the strictness of our Father's law, and with zealousness towards God as you are today. For I persecuted this way unto death. The next chapter says, I voted to stone them. How do we know what's taking place here? Because the apostle Paul is in the middle of all of this taking place. At this time, his name is Saul. Saul is sitting there pro-stoning Peter. He's sitting there watching all of this, and his teacher looks at them all and goes, calm down. And his teacher looks at them and says, we don't know if this is of God, and we don't know if this is of man, but if it's of God, you don't want to go against God. Five years later, we see Paul murdering Christians and gets blinded. And what does Jesus say? Why are you persecuting me and kicking against the goats? And I'm wondering if in that moment, Paul had this backtrack in his mind of five years earlier, listening to his teacher going, hey guys, let's not be dumb. You don't want to go against God. And now Paul's blind. I, I love this story because what it does is it sets a track for where we are. See, Paul wasn't just some random upstart. Paul has been in the book of Acts from day one. Every part of what we're walking through right now, Paul was a part of. He was a part of the first persecution. He's a part of the second persecution. He's a part of the whole thing because Paul, in this season of his life, is moving up the ranks under this great teacher being part of it all. He's watching it all. He's listening to it all. He's got a voting member part to kill them all. And his wisdom-filled teacher goes, time out. But Paul who knows all things, dives all in. And what you're watching here today is this. A lot of times in our lives, wisdom will speak to us loud and clear. It'll stop us in our track. And you always have a choice to follow it or to not follow it. Paul led the next five years of his life Again, this is before social media. This is before any kind of form of television or radio, whatever. You ever wonder when Paul gets saved, why everyone freaks out when he runs into the apostles? Why? Because they would look into his eyes as he's like, kill him. He, this isn't just some random guy who just got saved and they're being pansies. No, they watched. I watched you persecute me. I watched you vote against me. With a smile on your face, you wanted to murder me, and now I'm supposed to forgive you? Now I'm supposed to let you into my life? Now all of a sudden you got Jesus? This, you murdered Stephen. You beat me. You cursed me. You threatened my family. You came after my kids. You did all of these things, and now all of a sudden you have a, a change of heart. 
This is the beginning of the stories now with Paul. He is for the next five years the antagonist of the story. He is doing his absolute best to squash this whole thing. And I've always wondered why. Paul is a genius. He's not a stupid man. Super intelligent. Speaks multiple languages. A Pharisee of Pharisees, which means that he was as pure as it could possibly be, which means he knew the law front and backwards. He has connections and knows how the both Jewish law and the Roman law works because later on in his life, he plays them against each other so he can get in position to meet the king. He's doing all of these things because he's a smart man. The reality is, is that there's, a, there's an old story. The old story goes like this, is that God was going to send the Messiah earlier than this time frame. This isn't in scripture. This is their story. Remember the, the big span between Malachi and Matthew? The silent years because the Israelites were unwilling to listen to the word of God and they would much rather be listening to their own selves, serving false gods, serving false leaders. And according to Paul's theology, we're not going to delay the Messiah again. It's worth killing anyone so that he can come. Paul's thought process, and this is not my thought process, this is, this is uh, um, uh, N.T. Wright's thoughts, great theologian, walks through this whole story and goes, Paul believed with all of his heart by killing the Christians, he was helping the Messiah come in. He was helping the Messiah because if we can squash this false religion and we can just do it the way that God wants us to do it and we can do it the old ways, then the Messiah will come. If we can stamp out any of these outside voices, if we can squash it all, then we'll create the magical uh, formula for our Messiah to come through. And he was unwilling to see that the Messiah had already come. He was just so busy with doing, he missed the Savior. I'm watching a generation that is beginning to, to take over leadership be full of stupid ideas. And I'm also watching a generation that is stepping out of leadership refuse to speak love and wisdom. As if, fine, do it your own way. And it's this idea that they don't want to hear my advice anyways. And that's true. Maybe they don't. But one thing I will tell any person that is listening to my voice and you're at any age range, I would always encourage you to find somebody who has lived life before you and ask them what's going on in your personal life because they have so much wisdom of where they have already gone and how they got to where they are. And you listen and you filter. Because if my advice of my financial settings is from my broke 20-year-old friends, probably going to stay broke. 
If I'm getting all my wisdom from TikTok, it's probably a bad idea. And so sitting down and speaking to somebody who's been married for 40, 50 years, and you're talking about getting married, you're interested in getting married, or maybe, here's an idea, you're thinking about dating and getting out into the game and all those things. Talk to somebody who's been through life to give you wisdom because there's so much wisdom in this room that's untapped. It's, a, it's an oil field, if you will, of wisdom. And we're sitting there going, nah, I'm going to do it my way. But listen, our senior saints, anybody that approaches you, don't be like, well, I'm done. I gave you one bit of advice. Remember when you were 20 and 30 and how stupid you were. We look back at our lives and we laugh going, I cannot. How many times have I looked back at my life now and go, I can't believe I'm still alive. <laughs> like just in general, like that, that I'm breathing is an absolute miracle of God. We live this life. We've got to have grace for the previous generation, yet, I mean, for the current generation, yet at the same time understand that there is wisdom that's keeping you, that will help keep you from going blind and fighting against God. It was a waste of Paul's time. And you're gonna, and you can say what you want, Paul, man, full of wisdom, full of grace, full of all the things. He wrote so much of the New Testament, such a powerful man. But are you gonna sit here and tell me that for years after he gave his heart to Christ, that the flashes in his mind of watching men stoned to death as he smiled, that shame, that guilt, those pressures still weren't there? They had to have been. He's a human. And people ask me all the time, why is God so against fun? God's not against having fun. Fun in the right way is an amazing thing. Fun for today that will cost you memories and friendships and relationships and sleepless nights for years to come is not worth it. And God is all about saying yes at the right time because saying yes at the wrong time has consequences that will live in your life for a long, long time. Wisdom with the previous generation helps that. Huge. I throw myself out before you on a regular basis, mainly because I don't want everybody to do what I have done, good, bad, and ugly sometimes. Take the good things in my life, live by them, going great, but also take some of my tragedies in life and go, man, I don't want to go down that same road. And this is what he's looking at going. Listen to wisdom before you. I love that Paul is connected to this because it now changes how I look at Paul. To understand that Paul wasn't just minding his own business, got caught up in the wrong crowd and was holding some coats while Stephen gets killed five years later. Paul actively wanted to kill as many as he could. From the beginning of this movement, he was a part of it. Paul wasn't born after Jesus came and died. If Paul was a Pharisee at this season of life, the chances are that he also was there when they persecuted Jesus himself. It's all connected. It all intermingles and it all flows. Your story also isn't isolated. Your story is connected. I was born in Montgomery, Alabama. 
from two people who shouldn't have been alive. Not only should they not have been alive, they definitely should have been divorced. To think this idea that I would be here today from the people that sit on this front row is a miracle of God in and of itself. And to the idea that not only would I be alive, but that I would be in Montgomery, Alabama. And not only would I be in Montgomery, Alabama born, but then we would move to Slapout, and I would learn a lot out there in Slapout. Not, not only would I be there, then I would go to a school called New Life, where I could have gone to Hopeful, because we were poor, we were broke. Like, I could have gone to a lot of things, but my dad worked hard, and, and he got us there. And then uh, going into school and looking at colleges and everything else, I go, and then I happened just to have a falling apart of my life, out of the blue, if you will, from 16 to 17, all of a sudden, I'm just living like hell, hoping to go to heaven. Was not. Go to a party multiple times, but at the end of it all, just get completely wrecked to a place that now I'm at rock bottom in my life, where I could have been dead then too, because I was unbelievably drunk driving at that season of my life with a stick shift at 17 with people in my car. Finding my car in bushes randomly. Like, this is just, and then all of a sudden I get saved on a Sunday in May of, 20, of 2001. In July of 2001, 40 days later, I'm now enrolled into a Bible school in 40 days from Party Pete to Pastor Pete in 40 days. I should write a book, Party Pete to Pastor Pete in 40 days. Um, then dive into this school. Yeah, I, I could have gone to other colleges, and I got accepted in other universities, but I went here for some random reason. And you know what's funny? I didn't go because I felt called to ministry. I, I went because it felt like the right thing to do in my life. And you start walking through all the different people that spoke life. I had a man named Jody that just spoke so much life into, my, into me. Every time I would totally screw up, he'd grab me by the shoulder and speak life into me. Sometimes the life was painful talk. Sometimes it was good talk. He, he, he was this man that Paul had that would speak life. Every one of you guys could have been anywhere. The military could have put you in many different cities and many different countries all over the world, but you were here for a reason. Don't think that your life is full of just happen chance. You are meant to connect. God has woven your story in with so many other people. And this is how the gospel should be spread, is finding your connection points with the people that God put in your way. Paul was woven in from the beginning. You were woven in. You are here on purpose, for purpose. Don't act like you were just some random happens chance. God put you here. Not just at this church, but at your job, with the people that you're connected with, of all the houses you could have bought, but you're where you are now, of all the places you could have lived, but you're right here, of all the colleges you could have gone to, of all the roommates they could have paired you with, of all the people that could have been on your team and all the people that you could have been, God has orchestrated your life for such a time as this. Don't kick against his plans, but speak his word over every area of your life and your people's lives. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your wisdom and continuing to speak over us. 
God, we just thank you that as you have guided our footsteps and guided our paths, God, you will continue to guide us, lead us, give us boldness, let us know your word. Let us not cower down to the ways of men, but stand strong in your word. God, if we don't currently have somebody that is speaking life into us and and giving us wisdom, but God, I just thank you that you are calling us to either pour out wisdom to a previous to to early to the, this generation, or to to find wisdom from a previous generation, or 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 find somebody who's already been where we have been or going, and and we connect to one another. God, give us uh, people in our lives. Let us have eyes to see and, and the boldness to reach out to everybody around us. In Jesus' mighty name, Amen, and Amen. We will see you guys next week for Acts chapter six. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Have a great week. 